You're listening to Locked On Wildcats, and I'm Ross O'Hare filling in for Mike Luke. And today I'm going to give you an inside scoop into what it was like to be on the road with the Cats. Uh, what it was like to see their warm-ups, the pregame routines, and just give my overall feelings of how the Cats handled the pressure and hardships of playing on the road. And maybe what the Cats can learn from the crazy environment that they played in on Wednesday night. So that's the rundown for today's episode, and let's dive right in. Um, so got to the arena a little bit early, was able to watch the Wildcats warm up, get ready for the game. And really one of the amazing things was just the individual ways that each you know player warmed up. Now, if you've been to McHale, I'm sure that you've seen a little bit of it. If you don't live in Tucson and you're not able to see them very often, maybe this will give you a little bit of an inside scoop as to kind of just some of their routines, what they do, and especially you know, if you haven't seen them on the road, maybe how they kind of handle the road environment a little bit different. But I'm going to start out with the one guy who stood out the most to me in pregame and warmups, and that was uh, Dalen Terry. He looked like, um, you know, he had a pretty typical routine that he went through. Um, it was a typical warmup that uh, I haven't really seen a whole bunch of players do, but it was a regimen of like cutting and slashing mixed with threes and drives to the basket. He, you know, he did a lot of movement. It was not stationary. It wasn't, um, you know, just stand still, take a few shots, take a few dribbles, take a few shots. It was like there was, it was building upon it on itself. He kept growing the uh, warm up routine as it kept going, and he was working off screens. He was, you know, uh, cutting to the basket, making a layup, popping out to the corner for a three, doing the whole thing again, working off of a screen, making it to the basket, popping out to the corner, making a three. And he was working up a sweat more than anybody out there. And, you know, I, I hate to use the word, word warm up because it looked more like it was a workout. Uh, he was working so hard. And it was fun to see his um, tenacity, his energy, and how hard he went during warm ups. And, you know, when you play as a player or you coach, one of the things that one of the, a, coach, a good coaches always say is you want to practice like you play. And Dale and Terry was absolutely doing that. I mean, even in just the warm-ups, with no coaches out there, except for maybe a few managers, um, you know, helping him run his warm-up, he, uh, he was busting it. He was giving everything he had. And it was evident. I mean, he was bringing the energy. He was loving what he was doing, putting the work in. He was focused. And it really stood out to me just because, you know, obviously in the game you see his energy and you see the intangible things that he does. But that doesn't just happen, you know, by happenstance that happens with hard work and he's putting in the hard work to be what it takes to be an elite player whether a two-way player defensive and offensive player and he was working on his shot a lot which i know has been inconsistent so far this year in games but during the warm-ups he had he, he was pretty consistent with his shot and that was encouraging for me now translating that to a game is a different uh you know whole different ball game but i think that if he continues to work the way he is Obviously, he's an elite athlete who, over time, can really improve his shot and get that going. The next guy was Ben Matherin. And uh, just like Ben is you know, methodical and athletic and efficient on the court, that's the same way his warm-up was. He was, you know, it was methodical and efficient and started one of the ways he did. He really did a standard warm-up as far as what I, uh, you know, I've seen. He started close to the basket. Um, each side of the basket, one-handed, close in, two-handed, moving further out, taking four or five, six shots each spot, uh, and really not starting off with too much explosion um, in terms of just uh, warming his body up. But then, you know, he kept moving further back, moving further back, and then he got out to the three-point line, and it was like a clinic. 
um, the man can shoot. There's no doubt about it. And you see it uh, translate to games. But, I mean, in warm-ups, he is torching the net. It is, it's unfair for the net. I feel bad for it because, I mean, the amount of shots that he's making, whether it's three-pointers, in-close, turnarounds, dribble drives, I mean, coming off screens, hitting threes, it did not matter. And the guy was on fire. And, you know, everything about his warm-up, everything about his game just screams NBA. I mean, he's explosive, he's consistent, he's elite. And I know it sounds funny, but even in his warm-up, you can just tell there's something different about the level he's on right now because of the way he just he takes his craft seriously day in and day out, no matter what he's doing. Um, now, it's interesting because a lot of the big guys, Coloco, Balo, Tabellis, they all seem to have a similar type of routine, but do it at different times. And that was, you know, a lot of times they'd get a little work in on the court, warming up, but then they'd come sit off to the side near the bench and relax and get their mind right, you know, kind of focusing in on their game. And then they get back out a little bit and then they come back and sit down. Kind of this, there wasn't as much of a, a necessarily called a routine that you would look for, like what Terry was doing or Matherin. But, um, you know, they, they were out there getting warmed at their own pace. And it was interesting because all three of them kind of did that in their own way. And uh, it kind of stood out to me just because they were, um, again, you see Terry out there busting it, and you see Matherin doing his, uh, you know, efficient and methodical warm up, and then you got the three big guys that are just kind of like, um, and I won't say it's b- wrong or bad; it's just different, and that they get out there a little bit and come sit down, get out there a little bit and come sit down, and it was just interesting, interesting to see the different dynamics going on there. Now, I will say that Pella Larson was out early shooting, getting warmed up, and then he went into the locker room with about an hour before the game. And stayed in there pretty much until team warm-ups began. And um, actually, I would say maybe an hour and a half before game started and then came out when team warm-ups started because that was about 45 minutes later. And so he put in work early, but then, you know, went and got dressed for the game. Um, Kyer, same thing. I'm pretty sure he was out earlier. Um, he he, I know for a fact he didn't come out until team warm-ups when I was there. But he may have been out there super early working on a shot a little bit and then back in the locker room. And then the last one is Kerr. I mean, he, uh, he again, had a unique, interesting warm-up. He kind of stalked the perimeter of the court. Now, not the entire court because you only get half the court when you're warming up. But he walked around the court, the half of the court that they had, working on his ball handling skills. I mean, doing some dribbling, um, focused on that, really was, you know, taking time to work on that craft. He, he would go in and shoot a little bit, but mainly he was working on his ball handling and um, it was pretty efficient. I mean, the guy, the guy's got good handles. You can tell he really works at it day in and day out. And um, it was something that was obviously as a point guard, it's pretty important to what he does. So um, now, I think overall, what I would say about the warmups is that you know, um, Coach Tommy Lord gives them. It's evident he gives them a lot of uh, freedom to do what they want in their warmups to get ready up until team warmups when it's a little bit more organized. And you've got some coaches running out the team warmups. But, I mean, it, it's like whatever – I'm sure he's communicated on some level to the players, whatever it takes for you to get ready and warmed up mentally and physically before we start warming up, do it, whatever that looks like. And um, I'm sure there's some trial and error in it for the, for the players until they get into a routine. But it's just really interesting to see the mentality and the work ethic and the drive that every single one of these players has – to do this. I mean, they're doing this day in and day out. This is a full-time job. And I know people don't like saying that because they're in school, but I mean, when you travel across country to play in Tennessee, 
it takes up your entire day. It takes up your entire, you know, three days of travel, dri- traveling there, day, game, traveling back. And, um, and so they're putting work into their craft. And it's pretty incredible to see the efficiency and just all of them being such elite athletes, their love and desire to improve in their craft. So uh, after the break, we'll talk about a little bit the environment of what it was like to play on the road in front of 22,000 people. But first, Let's talk about built bars. Now, I'm pretty sure that every Arizona Wildcat athlete has consumed a built bar. You can just tell. I mean, their arms are the size of my thighs, right? And so it's just one of those things where built bars are not just good for you, but they taste delicious too. They've got a bunch of great flavors like raspberry or mint brownie, cherry or double chocolate, cookies and cream, and peanut butter and brownie. Now, I love anything peanut butter, so that's my jam. But, you know, your flavor might be something different. And, you know, one of the things about Built Bars is they're also great for the holiday. Now, cats could use maybe some help on the game on Wednesday night. But I know you might need some help for your holiday, you know, shopping and or preparations for family coming over and friends. And that Built Bar can help you out with that. So go grab a Built Bar, eat it, get ready for the holidays, and you can handle it. And offer right now that's going on at Built.com is use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. You're listening to Locked On Wildcats. Again, I'm Ross O'Hare filling in for Mike Luke. And for the rest of this podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit just about what the environment was like at the Tennessee Arena. It's called Thompson Bowling Arena, and it's a pretty big arena for college basketball venues. It holds about a little over 22,000 people, and it was packed. I mean, capacity was uh, upper 90 percentage, uh, so like 21,000 plus people were there, and you could tell. I mean, the crowd was into it. It was a great atmosphere. They were energetic. The, The Tennessee fan base was involved and in tune with the game. It was a fairly educated a fan base in that, you know, when they needed to make noise, they made noise. When, um, you know, when the Cats were starting to make a run, they started to get their players, they tried to get their players back into it. And overall, it was a great experience to be there. Again, they had close to 22,000 people in the arena. And I would say, you know, save a couple hundred Arizona fans, the rest of it was completely volunteer fans. And it was orange everywhere. And, um, you know, the, the game atmosphere, being on the road, obviously many of you have been to McHale before and you know that there's 13, 14,000 Arizona fans cheering on, but when you go on the road, it's a different animal, right? And you got, you got 22,000 fans rooting against you. It's daunting. It's a, it's a pretty incredible experience to be a part of. And to be honest, the Cats didn't handle it great early. Now, obviously they played on the road against Illinois and been on the road against Oregon State, been some neutral court locations, but I don't know that there was anything quite like what Tennessee brought, just basically just based on the amount of fans that were there, the energy, and the way that they started, right? Starting out 16-2 run to begin the game really got the crowd into it. I think if Arizona was looking to get the crowd out of it, it would have been the opposite. If Arizona had started hot and really started playing well, you silence that crowd pretty quickly. You maybe get them starting to believe that Tennessee doesn't have a chance, but I think the opposite happened, and Tennessee believed pretty quickly that they had a chance to, you know, win this game and, uh, you know, they belonged in this game. And so, you know, the, the crowd was brought into it early and really gave them hope, really gave them energy to cheer on the Tennessee Volunteers. And I think that hurt and uh, like limited the Cats 
energy at the beginning. And, you know, I, we talked about, I talked about in the previous podcast about the slow start that we had, that we were timid, you know, scared and on our back foot. And it, I think the crowd had a lot to do with that. And being a part of it, sitting in the middle of the crowd, you notice that um, the kind of effect that 22,000 people have, not just on the opposing team, right? Arizona was affected by it, but it really bolstered Tennessee and it really affected every single person in that arena. And so, you know, you finish the first half, you're down 13, the crowd's in it, they still got momentum. We start out in the second half and we start playing a little bit better. And they, you can tell they start to get a little bit ref, reckless or restless, but it wasn't until about the eight, nine, eight, seven minute mark, somewhere in there when we made our run, went on a 14-2 run to uh, tie the game up at 62 that the energy in the crowd changed. It was incredible. I mean, it was palpable. You could tell that everybody went from excitement and the overall hype and energy that you have from leading and beating a good team to, oh no, what's going to happen? Like this game is now up in the air. They have the momentum. And it was incredible to just see the energy sucked out of the stadium because it was like, how do you how do you explain what 22,000 people looks like when all of a sudden, you know, they're all nervous and anxious? And it was right at that 7:30 mark when we t- you know, we started to go on that run that the rest of the game there was just this tense uh palpable feeling in the arena of these, you know, these Tennessee fans just on the edge of their seat not knowing what's going on. And that I think also contributed to like I said, when you got 22,000 fans screaming it affects everybody, and I think that affects the refs too. And I think that goes into part of what, you know, there's been so much talk about the bad refing in this game. Honestly, I think that in such a um, high-energy environment where the energy changes so quickly in a like a two-minute period, we went from being down four, uh, 12 to being tied. And, you know, I think everybody got caught up in that. And uh, including the refs, and I think they don't. I don't think that they handled it great. I think that they were over overwhelmed in a way by the energy of the crowd and the 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 new anxiety that was coming from a tie ball game. And you could tell that they tightened up. You know, when when a when a game gets close, oftentimes players get tight. Coaches can get tight in their play calling and things like that. But you know, in what sets they're running or whatever. But I think refs can get tight too, and I think it showed because. Before that mark, they had been pretty just typical bad road refs, which you expect when playing on the road. But for that last eight or so minutes, I mean, it was abysmal. And, you know, you hate to complain, like I talked about last podcast, you hate to complain about the refs. But it was, it really affected the game. And I think it affected the game to the point where, you know, the technical foul called on Kerr, the multiple fouls in, in single possessions called on the Cats was directly influenced, I think. Maybe not the reason of, but directly influenced the refs and those calls. And you hate to see that. But obviously, that's part of playing on the road, right? That's part of what comes with playing on the road. And I think that's part of the final takeaway we can take from this game is Arizona showed grit and heart in making the game as close as they did in such a difficult and hostile environment. I mean, honestly, they're not just playing against the, the other team at this point in time, but they're playing against bad officiating on the road, and, you know, you've used so much energy to get back in the game. And even the refs doing a horrible job, the Cats still fought back. And they should be really proud of their effort and their resiliency. And as Coach Tommy Lloyd said, like, he's proud of the way that they fought back. And I think they should be. I think there's a lot of lessons that they can take in learning from what they went through. Because if you can play in front of that hostile of a crowd, start that poorly, 
play and have to face really, again, poor refing in the final eight minutes. I mean, that should give you some confidence of knowing, hey, there's going to be few, if any other time this season, we're going to face that. Unless, you, obviously, you can go to Poly Pavilion and see that uh, or play USC and see that, too. But realistically, you know, you're not those crowds aren't the same of what you're going to see that you saw on Wednesday night uh, in Knoxville. And it's great learning tool for them. I think it's really going to propel them even further in the season because obviously now there's no chance we go undefeated. That monkey's off the back. We, you know, we don't have to worry about, you know, necessarily being a top 10 team for a couple more weeks. And I think that all of that pressure will allow them to learn from one of the mistakes that they made, the slow starts they've been having. And this game and this environment is exactly what you look for, right? As coaches, you want your players learning and getting better so that they peak at the right time. It's not great. And we don't want to peak in December. We want to peak in March. And this game helps us learn and propel us forward, hopefully, in that. And so hopefully you've enjoyed the analysis and the inside scoop of what it was like to be on the road with the Cats. But before we go, let me tell you a little bit about Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the college bowl season and the pro football playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to the website or use the mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKED ON to receive your bonus. From basketball to football, boxing, UFC, you name it, maybe even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the safest and fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of the all-new amazing offers available. BetOnline, where the game starts.